0: So this is our week number 28 in the book of Daniel. And last time we were looking at the interpretation of the vision that Daniel has in chapter 7. And You remember this vision is given and then Daniel walks up to one of the standerbys. Don't know exactly who this guy is, but he's in the vision. Daniel walks up to him and begins to ask him to tell him the truth of what he has seen. And this guy, in just two quick verses, gives Daniel an overview of it. He says the four beasts that came up out of the sea, well, those are four kings that come up out of the earth. And clearly they have kingdoms. And then ultimately the saints of the living God are given the kingdom and they possess it forever. And that's his interpretation of it. And of course, now Daniel is reflecting back on some things. It's been about 50 years or so since Nebuchadnezzar had his dream about the uh, large statue that was made out of several different materials. And so surely that would have come to Daniel's mind as he sees all the correlations that we've talked about. Four kingdoms there, four kingdoms here, Um, the emphasis clearly on the fourth kingdom uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, emphasis on the fourth kingdom in Daniel's vision. So, a lot of things that correspond uh, 10 horns, 10 toes, all these things that make Daniel think back to what he had seen 50 years ago. And so, as Daniel has this vision, you'll remember he says that I had this vision, and then after I had it, I went and I wrote notes about it. I wrote it out. And so, as he's writing the book of Daniel, another 15 or 20 years after he's had this vision he's referring back to these notes that he wrote right after he had it the really the same day that he had it he writes down these notes and so now he's simply referring back to those notes and writing the book of Daniel and so we can be pretty sure that he remembered the details well and that he certainly would have paired this up with matching to Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw so Daniel isn't satisfied with that quick two-verse summary of the interpretation. So he begins to ask for the standby to give him more information, especially about the fourth kingdom. He wants to know about the little horn that came up. He wants to know about the ten horns that were there. And he wants to know about this beast because you remember his description of it is that it was horrible and terrifying and unlike anything else that had ever been before. And so there's, there's very unique features of this beast, this fourth beast. And we'll try and make some of those distinctions today as we go through this interpretation. So Daniel is not happy with the interpretation he was given. So he begins to relate back to the guy, hey, I saw all these different things. I saw this small horn come up. He had eyes like a man, his mouth was boasting, and uh, these other 10 horns, I want to know the details about those. And so being unsatisfied, he, he questions and presses the standby. And so ultimately the standby begins to give him more information about what's going on. Even Daniel himself, in relating to the standard by what he wants to know details about um, gives us more information than we had before. Hey, Tom, there's some room up here if you need it. So this morning what I'd like to do is kind of just pick up right in the middle of Daniel's explanation compared to what we had last week. So this morning we'll begin reading in verse 21 of chapter 7, of Daniel and we'll read down through the end of the chapter not expecting to get to the end of the chapter but at least we'll have the context of where Daniel goes to so beginning in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 21 there the scripture reads I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom thus he said this the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on all the on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever." Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself so here we have Daniel beginning in verse 21 he really begins a couple of verses before that back up in um, verse 19 he says then I desired to know the truth or the exact meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others exceedingly dreadful and its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed and trampled down the remainder of its feet with its feet So Daniel isn't satisfied with the interpretation given in 17 and 18. He wants more detail. And he says specifically what he wants details about. He wants to know about the little horn. He wants to know about the ten horns. He wants to know why this guy is able to prevail against the saints of the Holy One. Um, Why is it that he uh, is able to change times? All these different things that Daniel wants to know what it's all about and so um don't know if the standard by intended to give him that or if he was just going to tell him hey listen it's all right four beasts come up ultimately the saints of god take control and that's all you really need to worry about but daniel not happy with that of course we wouldn't be happy with that given the extra revelation that's given after the book of daniel about all these things that have to take place and so Thankfully, Daniel presses him a little bit. Now, Daniel gives us more information. We talked about it last week in verse 19. Where, what's the additional information that he hadn't given us before that point? Teeth of, uh, teeth, of iron, claws of teeth of iron was given, but claws of bronze was not, right? And again, looking for another week, I still don't find anything that really has a lot of significance other than Daniel's given us more detail. Okay, now, you'll, you'll also notice in that verse in, in 19 that if you don't get crushed in the jaws, then you get trampled by the feet. And we talked about that. that um, it's not talking about all the other kingdoms getting trampled. It's talk about when this beast takes control, at that time, then no one escapes. That he either get crushed in his claws or you get trampled. Not that he tramples over the other three beasts because these beasts are not um, contemporaries of one another. They are successive kingdoms that come one after the other. And so he wouldn't be having anything to do with the Babylonians who are represented in this particular case by the lion. So it's not talking about crushing or trampling down the remainder of those guys. It's talking about at the time when this beast takes control that he's able to Um, crush or trample everybody who's trying to get away from him alright then in verse 20 Daniel goes on and says that I want to know the meaning of the ten horns which were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell namely that the horn had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts in which was larger in appearance than its associates now we talked about this larger in appearance than its associates last week because this is what's the as Daniel first gives us the description of these horns 10 of them and then uh, an 11th horn what is the comparison of their size that this 11th horn is small in size right says a smaller horn came up among the 10 big horns all right so Here, I think NAS does us a disservice where it says that he was larger in appearance than the other horns. That's not what it means. What does uh, something like the ESV say? That he's greater or what would be another word that you might use? More imposing would be a good interpretation. Another word that you might use? How about stronger? Stronger. He's And, And not so much physically stronger but just in his power and his presence and in his command and in those types of things, this little horn overpowers really the, the ten bigger horns. All right, now you'll notice it says that um, not just that three of them were uprooted. That's definitely true, and we saw that even earlier. But what about this little horn and the three that are uprooted? What's significant about what Daniel says here? Well, I'm just i just want to know the comparison of what's significant about the little horn and the three that are uprooted. Why why are the three uprooted? The little one takes its place. Okay, and you'll notice it says they're presented before him. So it's kind of like this little horn ordered for these other three horns to be uprooted, and somebody we're not sure who, maybe the other seven kings uproots these three and kind of presents them to the little horn. So is that his command that these three horns are uprooted. It's not just by coincidence that he comes on the scene and then three horns are uprooted. It's him who is commanding these three horns to be uprooted. And so you, you see his domination of not only the three horns that are no longer, but also of the other seven. You know, if, if, so if you were going to go against, you're one of the other seven kings, right? And you're going to go against this little horn, what's going to happen to you? Be You'd be uprooted. Absolutely. So he's ruling really these other ten kingdoms, seven kings still remaining, by fear and by his power and by his might. And so this little horn is really the central focus of all the, of this interpretation. We'll see that here. We'll see it later also. That this 11th horn is the most significant feature of what's going on here. Now, all right, so that little bit of background, then we pick up in verse 21, right here in the middle of Daniel relating what he wants to know more information about. And this is new and different. I kept looking, and that horn, which horn? The little horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them alright now where is this in Daniel's first interpretation you know when he gives us what the dream is all about or the vision is all about where, has he said this before no so if you look in your bible look in the white space between verses 8 and 9 okay that's where this is right Verse 8 is where the little horn comes on the scene. He has eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts, right? And then verse 9, what happens? The Ancient of Days comes on the scene. So this is in between those two events where the little horn comes on the scene and then the Ancient of Days later comes on the scene. We don't know exactly the time frame between these things or how long he waged war. We'll be given more information about that maybe in a few verses But at this point, Daniel just says, first time we've heard it, that he's waging war against the saints. Now, how did Daniel know that these were the saints of the Holy One? How does he know? Go ahead. How do you you define what is your interpretation of the saints? Is this before or after Christ? Is this before or after when Christ came the first time? This is after, okay? It's not before he came. No, no, clearly not. The saints are never referred to him. Well, and, and Christ refers back to Daniel. Right. So these things didn't happen before Christ. They're definitely after him. Okay, so saints, today we would call saints what? Christians, Christians are, better term, the church, right? The, the, the church, which Daniel has no idea about, doesn't even know there's going to be a time frame of the day of grace when the church will even exist, doesn't have any of that knowledge whatsoever. Um, even later in chapter 11, when he gives the the resurrections, he sees the resurrection side by side of all those who uh, go to eternal damnation and those who go to the eternal kingdom. He sees no separation between them at all. So Daniel doesn't know anything about any of that. But these saints are clearly after Christ, okay, and they're being overpowered by this little horn. Now, all right, now how does Daniel know that it's the... Because this little horn overpowers not only um, the saints, but even you can see these three kingdoms, which he uproots. So he overpowers more than just the saints. So how does Daniel identify... The saints in this particular passage. How does he know that these are the saints who are being overpowered? That's a good question because how, how in using the word saints, right, which would be interpreted holy ones. What was his understanding of that, of that time? Well, this would definitely be true that the saints, the holy ones, would belong to the Most High or the Holy One, right? All right. Right. All right, now, how do you know? Because you read the rest of the chapter, right? That the kingdom's given to them. So Daniel's already seen the whole vision. It's not like he's here in the middle of the vision. Now we're in the middle of the vision, and he's relating things. But at the end, Daniel sees these same people who are being overpowered given the kingdom. So that's how he identifies. Hey, these belong to that guy because at the end he wins and they're given the kingdom. So they must belong to him, right? So there's not, no, nothing tricky here. Just got to realize Daniel's already seen the whole interpretation. He just doesn't know what it all means. I mean, the whole dream, he just doesn't know what it all means. And so, still in the vision, the last part of the vision gives him the interpretation. But he's already seen that these guys win in the end. Matter of fact, that's what the, the bystander told him at the very beginning, right? Four kingdoms come up and then the uh, Holy One prevails, the Most High prevails and they, and those who belong to him possess the kingdom. He's already told him that. Okay, so verse 21, in the middle of all of this, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. All right, now, just from your perspective, what would overpowering the saints look like? I mean, if you have two armies fighting against one another and one is overpowering the other, what does that look like? What's happening? All right, many of them are, are being killed off. What else? All right, losing ground, giving way, you're, you're retreating. All right, you could be taken captive like Daniel was and taken off to a foreign land, absolutely. All of those things would be entailed in what is called overpowering them, right? Now, we know from the book of Revelation that most people during this period of time when this little horn reigns are killed. I mean, the vast majority of the humans on the planet are killed. You know, if it happened today, 7 billion people there's only about a third left at the end at most a third okay so you're talking about you know today it'd be five billion people died and there's two billion left something like that so the vast majority of people on the planet everywhere die and they die not just at the hand Of this little horn they die at the hand of pestilence and disease and famine and all these other things that result because of the havoc that's wreaked in the world and you got earthquakes and you've got volcanoes going off and you've got tsunamis all these things all happening at the same time and so most of the people on the planet are ultimately killed so certainly that would include these people who are being directly attacked okay so Daniel wants to know about these things. He's still I mean this is still Daniel talking. Simply relating these are the things that I want to know about. And he says they were he was overpowering them until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. This is why I say it's in the white space, right? Between 8 and 9. Because in 8 you simply see the little horn coming on the scene and 9 you see the highest one. Well, now Daniel gives us more details about that and says that you had these, this little horn that was overpowering the saints and then the Ancient of Days previously, now here he simply says, um, well, he says the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now, not so important now, but super important later. Okay? The four beasts, what do they represent? Specifically, what do they represent? Kingdoms, Kingdoms right? It's more than that. What did he say previously? Look back in 18. Nope. In Num- Verse 17 very important these beasts are what four kings, four kings, four kings that that arise where out of the earth, of the earth meaning what humans. humans what else where are their kingdoms earthly, earthly kingdoms, right? kingdoms right little horn where's his kingdom Don't, don't get all spiritual on me now. Little horn. He's part of the fourth beast. Where's his kingdom? On the earth, right? All right. Now, if he is judged and all the kingdoms are given to the ancient of days and they take possession of it, where is it? on the earth right it's not some spiritual kingdom it's not something that's in the the heavenlies it's not anywhere but on the planet and notice that's exactly what he says in this verse he says the ancient of days passed judgment in favor of the saints of the highest ones and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom That's taking possession of the kingdom of the little horn, which is is an earthly kingdom. Here it is in Daniel, you know, 600 years before John writes about it and we're talking about an earthly kingdom. This kingdom is not spiritual. It's not allegorical. It's not somewhere else. It's not in the hearts of the saints. That, That doesn't fly at all with this passage we could debate if it's geographical or not I personally think it is geographical okay but we could talk about that and we will talk about it just a little bit today as we get a little further into this well I'll just go ahead and tell you what I believe (laughs) let me show you a verse look in look in Revelation chapter 5 I think it's sixteen. Well, it's not sixteen. Maybe it's now, now I'm going to have trouble, aren't I? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. Well, this is always a problem. No. Yes. Yeah, I do want 10. Revelation 5 in verse... you You can start in 9... These are the, um, you'll notice that in in verse 8, when he had taken the book, this is the lamb taking the book that no one else could open, which happens to be the title deed to the earth. It's in a scroll. It's rolled up and it's sealed with wax. As you roll the scroll up, you seal it. It has seven seals and only the lamb is worthy to break the seals. That's where we're at here. And he came in verse 7 of chapter 5 and he took the book in the right hand of him who sat on the throne when he had taken the book the four living creatures and the 24 elders we'll talk about that right who is that fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang this isn't the angels this isn't the lamb this isn't The one on the throne, this is the people who are around, the 24 elders um, who are singing this song. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the book, speaking of the, the Lamb, and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, so from everywhere on the planet. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign On the earth. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. On the earth. People from every nation and tribe and tongue. So this verse corresponds to where we're back over in Daniel chapter 22, chapter 7, verse 22, where they took possession of the kingdom. This isn't a spiritual kingdom, this isn't allegorical. This is the physical kingdom. Every one of these kingdoms, right? I mean, there's no doubt in your mind that Nebuchadnezzar was on the planet or that the Medo-Persians were on the planet or that Greece was on the planet or if your interpretation is Rome, that it was on the planet or whatever beast this is because it arises from the earth. Well, if they take possession of that kingdom, it's on the planet. It's not allegorical. It's not spiritual. It's not in the hearts of people. It's the physical kingdom. I think it is geographical. Here's the way I look at it. This fifth kingdom, the kingdom of the ancient of days, is worldwide. Okay? Covers the whole planet. Because it says all nations, all dominions will serve him. Okay, it doesn't say that about anybody else, any other time. But for the Ancient of Days, for the one on the throne, all the dominions will serve him. So it is worldwide. The geographical part, I believe, could be wrong, willing to be wrong, is that the 12 who are with Christ reign over the promised land that was given to Jesus Christ. The other saints, such as you and I, reign over the rest of the planet so it is geographical. But all dominions are ruled by saints of the Holy One. And that's where we come into play. Because we rule with him. There are a lot of people during the millennial reign who are unbelievers. Who don't want to serve Christ. That's why it's an iron rod. Right? Skirmish, disobedience, whatever, immediately subdued. So there would be peace on the whole planet. And there will be people who worship Christ and honor him who don't want to, but they'll have to. And at the end, a lot of unbelievers who have a final revolt against Christ, totally done away with at that point. So that's the way I see it. Will there be people saved during the millennial kingdom? I don't see why not. Life goes on during the millennial kingdom. People born, people die, goes on. There are a lot of people who live compared to the whole planet, but a lot of people who live from before the tribulation through the tribulation into the millennial kingdom. It doesn't say every single person dies. I've read books that say that. Scripture never says that. It says all the armies are killed, but when we go to battle, we don't all go. We send an army. It's most of us stay home. Same thing with these guys. They send their armies and they're wiped out totally, but that doesn't mean all the nations are wiped out. So all the unbelievers are not killed during the time of tribulation. All the believers are not killed during the time of tribulation. Never says that either. Namely, you know that the Jews aren't killed. Right? But there's more, I believe, than just the Jews who aren't killed. Go ahead. Uh, just get straight now. Okay. Day 1 of the millennium. Yeah. Day 1. Right? Yep. Yep. Not, not just the saved who through virginity, have kids. Right. And those kids then are subject to salvation or... Just as we, today, as we are today. Except for they get the opportunity to see the physical Christ yeah, reigning. Yeah, absolutely. So none of us are without excuse. They're right. really without excuse. Right. Because of the physical... Right. Right. Yep, that's what I believe. I could be wrong, but that's what I believe. And there is no day one. It takes 45 days to set up the kingdom of God. Why? Because you got to move people. you got to do things. There's this physical kingdom it takes a little while to get everything in place. Okay? So there's actually a 45-day period when all that's happening. So there is a day one. I mean, Christ is clearly in control because he's killed the armies, but then it takes 45 days to get it all yeah we could we could debate that yeah <laughs> go ahead yes yes this is you know this is where you have to kind of try and piece together where do you believe the rapture is at mm-hmm. because in the rapture is where the dead get new bodies and the living get new bodies right so it could be Pre tribulation, mid tribulation, or post tribulation, they all fit with that scheme of they need to be able to reign in physical bodies. Okay? And we'll talk about pre, mid, and post later. Okay, much later. Okay, because Daniel doesn't see it in the book. We'll get we'll be out of Daniel before we talk about that. Okay, that'll probably be an introduction to Revelation will be these different schemes That people have. And there's more than just those three. In chapter 7 of Daniel, between verses 6 and 7. I believe the fourth beast is on the scene before the tribulation. Okay? At least the Ten Kingdoms. And I really think probably even the Little Horn. It may not be distinguished as the Little Horn, but he's on the scene. Okay, because somewhere in here, a temple has to be built. The temple that Ezekiel wrote about, right? Has Has to be built somewhere in here. I think it's in the first three and a half years of the Tribulation is where it's built. Maybe a little bit before that, and then finished during that time of peace. So things have to already be in gear. We'll, we don't know the day or the time, right? Don't know the day or the time. But we know the signs. So you can look for the signs and you expect the day, right? So it doesn't say we're totally ignorant and don't know anything about this time. It just says we don't know the day or the time. That's true. But the saints in the first century thought they saw it coming. We think we see it coming today, right? It's 2,000 years later. We could be wrong. Right? But you still expect the day, and you look at the times, and you anticipate. So it doesn't diminish that expectation at all. Matter of fact, it should heighten it. Now, later, after we get out of Daniel, and I take a little aside into the prophets. You'll think the day is tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> you will. You should. Live that way. You should. You should. Me. Yes? Are you talking about the, the, the temple that Ezekiel is referring to in Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40? Yes. Okay. Yes. That temple has not yet been built. That not been built. I mean, the dimensions of it don't match anything that's been before, right. and yet it's a physical temple. It's the place where um, the one who's worshiped. Uh, rules. It's in Jerusalem. There's no temple in Jerusalem today. I believe it's on the Temple Mount. Right. This occurs before tribulation, or during the first three and a half years. It's a big temple. It's, it's going to take a little while to build it. Okay. I mean, this is a physical kingdom. This is a physical temple. It takes time for things to happen. They don't just happen automatically. Even when all the armies are wiped out, you know, everybody doesn't know about that. It takes time for all those things to come into place. And there's still little skirmishes going on because people don't know the war's ended. So it just takes a little bit of time. You have to allow for that. It's no different. It's the same physical planet we live on today. It takes time for things to happen. I mean, it's going to take them two years just to build the brave stadium, Right. (laughs) This temple is more elaborate. And guess what? The dome of the rocks sort of in the way. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the way. <laughs> in the, the, the city of cranes down there, right? Go ahead. I can imagine a great fervor around building the temple. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, how long well, have you waited? And well, and who I builds it? Who builds it is the real question. I mean, because you've got Palestinians, you've got Arabs, you've got Israelis, uh, you've got Muslims who already have a mosque there. I mean, who, who builds this thing? I think the little horn does as part of his deception. So that's why I say maybe a little bit before the tribulation, it's already all in place and moving. Troubling you, aren't I? <laughs> Go ahead. Getting back to Never the Nether's briefly, yeah. Um, we talked about iron and then the feet of clay and iron mixed together, right? Like the toes, right? And then down here in Daniel 7, it mentions claws of bronze, right? The Bronze man-made, Age, right? Uh, metal used primarily for instruments of agriculture, but weaponry. Right, right. It was banged together copper and tin, I think it is. Yeah, that's the most right. common, right? So the nails, the claws, are man made weapons. Could be. One on each toe, ten toes, ten kingdoms. Right. right? Could be. If that was Daniel's time, then he would have understood that bronze meant man made. Mm hmm. Yeah. as opposed to an element that came out of the earth. Like well, that. even iron is man-made, right? Iron ore is iron. Iron ore exists, but that's not iron. That's not iron. It's, it's, not, it's not metal. It's not made into a metal that you make. Right, you to have measure. to mix it and, and process it and quench it and all kinds of things that you have to do to iron ore. And and it is, and, and, and maybe that's what it's referring to. Uh, here, since you brought it up, the clay that doesn't mix with iron, right. three kings who get uprooted. They don't mix with the other seven. Yeah, I I think so. Probably are. That they're the clay in the midst of the iron. So, don't know that, but all right, so we'll go back to Daniel, okay? And talk about what Daniel talks about. So, when we talk about at the end of verse 22, took possession of the kingdom, the way that you parse that, the way that you interpret that will affect all of your eschatology. All of it. So you need to think about that long and hard. That they took possession of the kingdom. Where is that kingdom? What is that kingdom? Because that then sets your eschatology for what you truly believe. About the millennium, about when Christ comes, about how the saints rule, all of that is affected by what you think about that particular interpretation. All right? And then he says... Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth... All right, now, thus he said... Who's talking here? The bystander. bystander. Okay, Daniel is done asking all his questions or at least telling the guy what he wants to know about. Okay, and now the interpretation begins again. So verses, what was it, 18 and 19 or 17 and 18... 17 and 18, that is the bystander speaking. And then he's quiet while Daniel says, "Ah, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to know about this and about this and about this and what about this. And so he's finished saying all these things. And then in verse 23, the bystander begins to speak up again. Okay, so verse 23, he says, Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth. Notice how emphasis that is. Which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. It will be different than all the other kingdoms. What do we have that shows us that this kingdom is different than all the other kingdoms? Say what? Yeah, but I mean the Babylonians weren't good guys either. Or the Greeks for that matter. Or the Medo-Persians. They were pretty ugly people. And if you believe it's Rome, Rome was probably the less violent of all of those. Because Rome would go in and build your cities for you and build roads to them and help you to promote um, commerce, the society, the language all of that they would help you do all of those things so how is this beast different go ahead well, the first three are are the okay that's one way what else the it well the, yeah and we'll talk about this trample down or devour the whole earth here in a second go ahead he does two things that no one in history has ever done he tries to change times. right I think there's been other people who've done that. Yeah, we'll get there, right? I'll tell you what I think that is. But yeah, laws and times. I believe people have tried to change both and have successfully changed both. Go ahead. A lot depends on how you interpret that word, earth, because so many times it should be interpreted, land, meaning the area around it. Right. Yeah, this. Well, this may be the planet. Well, the same word is used to represent the kingdoms, to represent the people, to represent the physical earth. They're all the same. Right, they're all the same. Same word. So you have to look at context, right? And and you know, um, we'll talk about the whole earth here in a minute. First, I want to talk about how is this kingdom different? Uh huh. That he will make alterations. Right. And, it'll be given into his, and it will all be given into his hand for a time and a half time. And times, time times and a half time. Okay. He gathers the whole, all the former kingdoms together, and then he devours the whole earth. Then he, after he devours it, then he tramples it down, breaks it into pieces, and then he divides it up to the ten horns, the three of which end up going. Yeah, I'm. You know, I, I'll just tell you uh, I'll just tell you I don't think any of those things are the way that he's different well he's a man he's got eyes of a man and a mouth speaking boisterous words he just profanes the name of the most high okay how do I think it's different well think about the Babylonians who ruled the Babylonians Nebuchadnezzar and the succeeding yeah. emperors, right? Who ruled over the Medo-Persians? Cyrus did, Cyrus did. Yeah. right? Who ruled over the Greeks? Well, Alexander Al- three years. well, a little more than three years, but Alexander, right? right? And then ultimately is divided. But when the kingdom was expanded, who ruled over the Greeks? Alexander. They don't take any more land after Alexander. Okay? So, at the top of all three of those, you have one man. One man. Always, everywhere. Even though Darius is over the province of Babylon, over Darius is Cyrus of the Medo Persians. Always one guy at the top. Not true in the fourth kingdom now it ultimately is true when the little horn comes on but before the little horn gets there and we don't know how long that is right we don't know how long that is this one beast has ten horns there are ten rulers not one different than all the rest all the rest had one ruler this one has ten now ultimately they do have one right but when they're established as a beast there's ten of them so you have to, you know, how long is that? Don't know. That could be 50 years. It could be one year. could be three months. Don't know. But these ten kingdoms and ten kings exist and are established as a beast before the little horn comes on the scene. So they're existing kingdoms that all cooperate together before the little horn comes on the place. That's different than anything that's been seen before. Name ten nations today that are all united in what they do. I mean, there are coalitions all over the place, right? But those are mostly military or political. They're not certainly united in what they do. These guys are united. They're one beast. Notice the way Daniel describes it. A beast came up and the beast had ten horns. I kept looking... And then an eleventh horn came up, a little one. So they're established as a beast before the little horn comes on the place, and there's ten of them. That's how they're different, I believe. Now, what they do is clearly different than what other people have done before them, but that's the way how can Daniel describe something with ten horns as an animal? You know, a buck maybe has ten points. That's not ten sets of horns. So that's the way I believe it's different. Now, he goes on because there's more here. Then he said the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down. Now, from our 2015 Americanized version of the whole world, what is it? What does it appear to be? All nations everywhere on the planet, right? There's a problem with that. So let's go back in Daniel. And and I've been thinking about this a lot, okay? Because I probably said it a little different previously than I will to say it today. Because you continue to grow, hopefully. So let's go back and look at where Daniel used this description previously. So you can look back in, I'll find it in a minute. Look back in Daniel, all the way back to chapter 2, verse 37. And you'll see the same kind of description. 2.37. This is the interpretation of the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, the big statue. You, O king, or the king of of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power, the strength, and the glory and wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all you are the head of gold sounds like what sounds like everything everywhere right there's a problem with that look on down in daniel chapter 4 verse 1 this is where Nebuchadnezzar is speaking really to the planet. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. Is Nebuchadnezzar really speaking to everybody on the planet? It's a problem with that? Look on down in chapter 4, verse 20. I'll tell you the problem in a second. chapter four, verse 20. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all under which the bee- the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. All right? First question I would ask you here. What does it mean when it says this tree reads to the sky? It's really tall. tall. Not that it reads to outer space, right? Not that it poked through the blue stuff. It just is really tall. Reads to the sky, sort of like skyscrapers, right? Which are nowhere close to the sky. Okay, so it's exaggeration. It's hyperbole. It's overemphasis. I think whole earth is also. Let's go to one more and I'll tell you why. Look down in chapter 5 verse 19. This one's not quite as explicit but it's still there. This is Daniel talking to Belshazzar about Nebuchadnezzar and he says, because of the grandeur which he bestowed, meaning God bestowed on Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. Did really all men fear before Nebuchadnezzar? No, because who did not? China would be the best example probably. China, we have written history a thousand years before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar never got anywhere close to China, never took over India and any of the peoples who lived there, never took over uh, West, Western Europe. That was not part of his kingdom, the Spani- what we call Spaniards or the English or the French or any of those people. Didn't go. He just went into Turkey, what we call Turkey today, Macedonia in those days. Didn't go any further than that. So you have all these. He didn't go into North Africa. He went into North Africa only to the Egyptians, and only a little bit of the Egyptians. All the others that are west of Egypt never went there. South Africa. Yeah, there, there's lots of places where never, where never Nebuchadnezzar never went. Okay, so why does the scripture then say the whole earth, all nations, all peoples? What? Why does it say that? What do you think? The Bible is a very mid-East-centric book. Right. as to where Noah's descendants went to Noah went to Camp right. Georgia no 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 they didn't and, and, and never does the scripture mention all these places we just talked about it does say the kings came from the far east right probably the orient but that's about all the description I mean it doesn't mention all these other places that we know exist today Right? I mean, remember, the earth is still flat at this time. Right? You fall off the edge if you go too far. It up later. Right. It curled, it, later, it gets more... So, all these, when the scriptures speak of the whole world in the Old Testament, the perspective, and it's, it's not just here, it's all throughout the Old Testament where you see this, it's the lands that are important to the biblical text. And so that would be Babylon, that would be Egypt, that would be what we call Israel, it would be the Sinai Peninsula, it would be Mesopotamia, it would be Italy, it would be those things that are clearly spoken of in the scripture. But as you said, the uh, the Mesopotamia, the land between the Tigris and the Euphrates, is the emphasis of scripture. That's where Babylon is, is between those two rivers. And so when you talk about the whole world in scripture, it's talking about the lands that are important to the Jews and to their descendants and to their enemies. It's not talking about every physical place on the whole planet. Now later, when it does say that all the dominions serve him, clearly. But it doesn't say that here. It doesn't say that. And Nebuchadnezzar never had influence in those places. So you have to think un-American and think like a 6th century Jewish guy would have been thinking when you write, when you interpret these things. And and Daniel would not have known about all these other places and didn't intend to include them because it's clear that Nebuchadnezzar did not have influence over every person on the planet. Didn't even speak to them Although all those that are important in the scripture, he did have influence over. And he did speak to. And his kingdom did include those. Does that make sense? You okay with that interpretation? Or does that bother you just a little bit? Go ahead, Bob. As you follow follow the scriptures, you realize that the land that they speak of in in the Bible continues to grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. It's right there between the tigers and the Euphrates. now let me bother you a little bit more <laughs> Babylon clearly controlled Babylon right the Medo-Persians took over Babylon, controlled Babylon Alexander the Great expanded the kingdom further East than anybody did he went into what we call Pakistan to Afghanistan uh, to Iraq Iran all of that was in the Grecian empire right Rome never got there Rome never even got to Babylon Rome never got within 500 miles of Babylon except for a short period under Trajan in 116 to 118 A.D. For two years, they invaded, got pushed back, and left, and never came back. So, you could never say that Babylon was under Roman control. So, when you think about the four kingdoms and you think about the whole earth that he's talking about, Rome has a problem that it never controlled Babylon, never got there. But didn't Rome take over the Grecian Empire? No, 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 no. No, no, no. No, oh, Rome, Rome did defeat the Greeks, no question. But they didn't take all the land that the Greeks owned. They never even went Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, none of that. None of that. They were Mediterranean-centric and did not take all of this eastern land that Alexander the Great had taken. That stayed under um, um, the Seleucid Empire. And it stayed there the whole time that Rome was in. Even when Rome moved to Constantinople, it still was under the Seleucids. And it stayed that way. So you need to go study your world history a little bit, right? And especially the geography. And that's where I have a real problem with Rome being the fourth beast because it never controlled Babylon. Never even came close to controlling Babylon. Go ahead. World and all of the world. We mean it today. Scripture well, in the ne- New Testament. Did they say, "Go, make disciples of all nations"? Yeah, they but, meant- but they didn't even get to Spain. <laughs> but they meant that was for the church, wasn't it? Sure, but they never even got to Spain. They only got as far as as Italy. It means without limits. Right. Or the Americas. Well, and, and forget about all that because that's not in the scriptures. Okay, it's just not there. So when we say Gog of Magog and all the biblical lands, okay? Stay with biblical lands and don't go extrapolating because the scriptures never do. So like I said, I'm just going to bother you a little bit. So when the Antichrist comes, does he control the whole earth or does he control the whole earth biblically? You have to start thinking about that a little bit, don't you? Personally, I think it's the whole earth biblically, but he has influence as today. You see something happen in China has influence here today, right? So it does have effect and influence, but control? We'll talk about that in large detail later, okay? But I'm just putting these things out there so you can begin to think about them because I'm going somewhere, okay? And I always will use the scriptures, but this whole world you have to think about. You have to go study. What do you think in Daniel they mean by the whole world? What do you think they mean when it possesses the kingdom? Because those things will influence what you believe about the end times. They'll have dramatic impact. Why did I start in Daniel? Because these things are in Daniel. Why didn't I go to Revelation? Because these things are in Daniel and they shape the way that you think. And remember, Daniel is the strongest link. I would say that to Revelation out of all the Old Testament scripture. The strongest links are in Daniel. So, you need to think about this. What's the whole world and what's took possession of the of the kingdom? What do those mean to you? Now, you know what they mean to me. I've been pretty straightforward with you. Okay? You need to decide if you agree or disagree. And it's okay to disagree with me. I, I could be wrong. Okay? I'm willing to be wrong. But I'm telling you where I stand today. And I'll tell you, eight years ago, I didn't stand where I stand today. But you keep studying. You keep reading. You read extra biblical stuff and including the biblical stuff, more in the Bible than anywhere else. But you've got to read some extra biblical stuff in order to understand all these terms questions something you want to say made you upset today i was here Uh, (laughs) i've I've been here as long as anybody else okay 18 years (laughs) 18 and a half years my doctrine changed about 18 years ago to be reformed before that i wasn't i was all kinds of things but God changed it and so I've been growing ever since in reform theology. This is part of reform theology. Now, I'll tell you, all the reformers would disagree vehemently with me. Okay? Almost every one of them were Amil. Didn't believe in a millennial kingdom. They just didn't have time to get that far. Okay? (laughs) They had too many other things to deal with. And I will tell you, if you agree with me, you're a small slither of the church because probably 90% or more disagree with what I just all the things I've said this morning but that's okay I'm willing for that to happen because I just take the scripture and listen to what it says and teach it and and believe it and try and understand it but I'm willing to listen to your input so you need to think about those two things thanks for your time